You're listening to Enchanted, a podcast on the history of magic, sorcery, and witchcraft. I'm Corinne Wieben. Before we start today's show, I want to welcome you to a new season of Enchanted. Season 3 is packed with prognosticators, fairies, voodoo queens, troublesome popes, and of course, witches. You may also have noticed that Enchanted has a new look thanks to the beautiful cover design from Brian Travis. Thank you, Brian. Finally, Enchanted got a ton of new listeners last season, and I know there are even more folks out there who would love the show but just haven't found it yet. Here's where you can help. If you are so inclined, you can head over to Apple Podcasts and give Enchanted a five-star rating. Rating and reviews give podcasts a boost in Apple's listings, which will help other people find Enchanted across a variety of podcast platforms. A huge thank you to those who've already left a rating or a review, special thanks to Enchanted's Patreon patrons, and, of course, welcome to all listeners new and old. I couldn't do it without you. And with that, let's get on with the show. If you were a scholar in 11th century Europe and you wanted the latest scoop on the occult, astrology, or alchemy, there was only one place to go. You would have to look to Arabic texts, written by master Islamic philosophers who built on the foundations of the late antique Greek, Roman, Egyptian, and Persian traditions. In our post-enlightenment world, we tend to enjoy distinguishing clear boundaries between science, religion, philosophy, and magic. The medieval world, however, had a radically different notion, viewing these disciplines together as parts of a singular path toward knowledge and truth. The pursuit of knowledge is a religious obligation in Islam, and in the cultural flourishing of the early Abbasid period, especially the 9th, 10th, and 11th centuries, the Arabic, Byzantine, and Persian intellectual traditions came together under a single caliphate, This synthesis of centuries of mathematical, astronomical, medical, and other scientific and philosophical study gave birth to a rich intellectual tradition and new interpretations of theology, the Quran, and Islamic law. Far from trying to separate esoteric disciplines from the fields of philosophy, theology, and law, Islamic scholars actively tried to integrate knowledge of practices like alchemy, astrology, and divination into their larger understanding of divine truth. Eventually, this knowledge would be transmitted to Europe, resulting in the medieval intellectual movement known as scholasticism, which likewise sought to synthesize classical Greek and Roman philosophical and scientific knowledge with Christian scripture and belief. This era of scholarship and synthesis was so productive that it's known as the Islamic Golden Age. Today, we examine the medieval Islamic philosophical tradition on magic through the eyes of Fakhr al-Din al-Razi, one of the era's most prolific scholars. In the early 11th century, Persian philosopher Abu Ali ibn Sina known in medieval Europe by his Latinized name, Avicenna, 
dedicated himself to a comprehensive synthesis of late antique philosophy with the principles of Islam, producing hundreds of written volumes and sparking a series of intellectual debates between Muslim philosophers and theologians for the next few centuries. In his treatise on alchemy, Avicenna denied that alchemists could, in fact, transmute one substance into another, instead asserting that alchemists had learned to make one substance appear to be another. He did, however, rely on Neoplatonic ideas to argue for the soul's ability to affect or manipulate material objects. Neoplatonism centered on the idea of the Logos, a supreme benevolent intellect whose power was reflected in celestial and terrestrial souls. The celestial souls drove the motion of each of the celestial spheres and the planets that inhabited them. That motion, in turn, influenced the earthly, terrestrial world. This idea that the movement of the planets and stars affects life on Earth is the foundational principle of astrology. Avicenna argued that the establishment of a connection between a human soul and the celestial souls is the cause of prophecy and revelation. Those humans who achieve perfection are those whose souls become imprinted with the form of the cosmos. However, in arguing for this connection between human and celestial souls, Avicenna was also advocating a scientific basis for magic. A human, having established a connection with the celestial spheres, may manipulate and control their movement, affecting material change on Earth. Chief among Avicenna's contemporaries and critics was Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, whose most famous work, The Incoherence of the Philosophers, argued for the limits of philosophy and the necessity of divine revelation. He pointed to the lack of other entities, including God, in Avicenna's metaphysics, and therefore rejected Avicenna's philosophy because of its apparent discord with the Quran. The next generation of Islamic scholars in the 12th century would study both Avicenna and counter-Avicennan philosophy, each taking sides in the long debate between philosophy, magic, and religion. such scholar was Fakhr al-Din al-Razi. Born in 1149 to a father who worked as a theologian and legal scholar, Razi was uniquely situated in time and place to access a wealth of scholarship. The works of this Persian polymath span the fields of medicine, chemistry, physics, astronomy, cosmology, literature, theology, ontology, philosophy, history, and jurisprudence. These works include titles like Eastern Studies in Metaphysics and Physics, The Higher Issues, and Keys to the Unseen. This last is a commentary on the teachings of the Quran, which, thanks in part to its being 32 volumes long, was later dubbed the Great Commentary. Razi showed an interest in mysticism and is rumored to have studied and perhaps even practiced alchemy. Eventually nicknamed Sultan of the Theologians, his philosophy derived in part from the astronomical teachings in the Quran. In The Higher Issues, Razi attempted to explain his understanding of physics while criticizing the geocentric model of the universe. Geocentrism is the view that the Earth is at the center of the universe and that 
The sun, planets, and stars all revolve around it. This view is in part derived from Greek and Roman philosophy, but it was reinforced by the Abrahamic religious tradition, which asserted that God created the earth specifically to serve as the center of the universe and the home for all living beings. Razi refutes this view, especially the argument that the earth is a hemisphere which sits on a large body of water. He argues for the spherical shape of the earth and sky, since the Quran refutes neither and visual evidence indicates that the sky is spherical. As in similar classical works, he presents a variety of explanations, assuring the reader that the Quran is neutral on each of these matters. Razi also rejected the Aristotelian concepts of a single world and a single universe, making him one of the first thinkers to theorize the existence of the multiverse. In a commentary on a passage from the Quran that reads, All praise belongs to God, Lord of the worlds, Razi wrote, It is established by evidence that there exists beyond the world a void without a terminal limit. And it is established as well by evidence that God Most High has power over all contingent beings. Therefore, He the Most High has the power to create millions of worlds beyond this world, such that each one of those worlds be bigger and more massive than this world, as well as having the like of what this world has, of the throne, the chair, the heavens and the earth and the sun and the moon. The arguments of the philosophers for establishing that the world is one are weak, flimsy arguments, founded upon feeble premises. Thus, Razi rejected the Aristotelian and Avicennan notions of a single universe revolving around a single world. This rejection arose from his affirmation of atomism, which entails the existence of vacant space in which the atoms move combine and separate. In the end, he uses Quranic principles to argue that there exists an infinite outer space beyond the known world, and that God has the power to fill that vacuum with an infinite number of universes. While Razi's knowledge of the universe is scientific, it's also deeply based in religious understanding. In a commentary on a Quranic verse that states, Surely your Lord is God who created the heavens and the earth in six days, then assumed the throne. He covers up the day with night, which comes chasing it fast. And the sun and the moon and the stars are subjugated by his command. It is his to create and command. Blessed be God, the Lord of all the worlds. Razi demonstrates God's oneness and omnipotence by arguing that he could have made the universe any particular shape and size and at any time other than the one he chose. Razi reinforced the idea of the universe and everything it contains as a deliberately planned creation. The sheer order of day following night and the benefits that arise from that order become proofs of the existence of an intelligent and benevolent God. One of Razi's earliest major works is his Al-Sir al-Maktoum, or The Hidden Secret, written sometime around 1179. The work consists of five related texts, each with multiple chapters, articulating the scientific theory behind the operation of talismans.
The first treatise describes talismans as a blend of active celestial and receptive earthly powers. The nature of the soul and spiritual preparation, astral ritual, and a reaffirmation of the truth of Islam. The second treatise focuses on the details of astrology and astral ritual. The third addresses making and imbuing talismans, and attempts to reconcile the Islamic and Sabian views of the cosmos. The fourth explains Sabian belief, and essentially lays out a variety of spells, explaining the invocation of planets and the effect each planet can have on Earth. The fourth treatise also includes a ritual of planetary ascent, which allows a practitioner, provided he is intellectually qualified and astrologically situated, to claim control over each planetary sphere and achieve perfect harmony with the cosmos. As the soul ascends, each sphere yields up its powers. The moon offers understandings of fields like religion, arithmetic, engineering, geography, and agriculture. Mercury offers mastery of the intellect, language, philosophy, mathematics, and occult knowledge. Venus's powers encompass women and mothers, young people, riches, entertainment, physical pleasures, and magic. The sun offers political power, light, and gold. Mars offers the destruction of enemies. Jupiter gives riches, generosity, justice, truth, love, and faithfulness. And Saturn offers power. At each stage of the ritual, the practitioner must perform physical acts to alter his consciousness, including intense fasting, precise timing, and the fulfillment of certain conditions. For example, the ritual of Mars requires the seeker to stand with a sword in his right hand and a severed head in his left. The sword should be stained with the blood of the severed head, and the practitioner is then to eat the head and share it with others. Unsurprisingly, Razi reminds us throughout the work that he is not inventing these practices and rituals himself, but instead is repeating and critiquing the natural philosophy of the Sabians, a largely undefined group that seems to encompass ancient Persians, Babylonians, Egyptians, and others with a strong tradition of astrology and astral magic. Razi carefully seeks a scientific explanation for the working of talismans and the occult, rejecting anything not in accordance with Islam. Unlike Avicenna, Razi insists that all magical effects ultimately come from God, since any secondary actors, like spirits or celestial souls, must be God's creations and bend to his will, or else this theory would constitute a kind of polytheism. To establish a relationship between human and celestial souls, Razi's Sabians state that human and celestial souls so resemble each other that their life cycles are reflections of one another. Razi explains, just as the planets first rise, their power increasing until they reach the apogee, then decline hour by hour until they set, so in the same way you observe the growth of children, then the power of youth, then the subtle spread of weakness in middle age, which finally ends in old age and death which no treatment can avert and no medicine cure. Razi then goes on to explain that this relationship is a loving one, 
in which celestial souls are conscious of their effects on terrestrial souls and watch over them like guardian angels, writing, The loving care which these celestial souls show human souls is like the loving care that a father shows to his children. He is the one who guides a man in his sleep to his best interests. When he is awake, he guides them in his thoughts towards his goal. He is the one who casts into the human heart notions which benefit. He is called the perfect nature, since the cause is higher, more powerful, and more perfect in his nature. Having established this connection, Razi explains that a talisman is the blending of heavenly active forces with elemental passive forces for the sake of being empowered to make manifest that which runs contrary to the norm or to prevent from occurring that which is consonant with it. A talisman is, for Razi, an object in which heavenly and terrestrial powers meet. The making of a talisman requires precise astrological timing to bring the celestial souls most in concord with their terrestrial counterparts. Depending on the desired effect, it was necessary to invoke different planets. Saturn, for example, creates division and hatred. Venus inspires love, and Mars facilitates domination of one's enemies. As in most occult practice, the practitioner must also have a single, unwavering intention in creating his talisman. Since he's attempting to sympathetically impose his will on the celestial spheres, his desires must be clear. The Hidden Secret concludes with an account of the twelve conditions of mind that one who seeks occult knowledge must possess. After all, the perfection of the soul is, for the Neoplatonists, primarily an intellectual endeavor. The completion of the ritual of planetary ascent would allow a perfected soul to move freely between the realms of intellect, soul, and physical nature. In the end, however, Razi goes to great lengths to refute the idea that the celestial spheres have their own independent sentience. He writes, Indeed, this doctrine is proved false by our proving that the world has been brought into being in time, and that the producer of influence on the world must be able. If he is able, then his power must extend to all possible things. Then he must be the creator of all possible things. Given all this, belief in the planets as gods which govern this world is proved false. To frame the idea of celestial souls within the tenets of Islam, Razi recasts them, writing, Reason and revealed religion are in agreement that placed in authority to govern each separate species in the world is a distinct heavenly spirit, and these spirits are called, in the language of revealed religion, angels. The perfection of the soul, for Razi, is a result of approaching alignment with the will of God, which involves, as he says, voiding the heart of everything except the remembrance of God, for the substance of the soul is possessed of a passionate love for the presence of the divine splendor. Despite modern Western ideas of an inherent division between science and religion, the evidence suggests that this couldn't be further from the truth, especially in the medieval Islamic world. When scientific knowledge differed from the Quran, medieval Islamic philosophers explored a variety of possibilities and theories 
to explain observed phenomena, attempting to reconcile them with Islamic belief, if possible. In one treatise on astronomy, Razi explained, The science of astronomy has no other meaning than reflection on how God ordered the heavens and created its different parts. The point, he argued, was not to pit science against the Quran, reason against revelation. The point was to reconcile both, reinforcing belief in the inherent order of the universe and the perfection of its divine creator. The desire to center metaphysics on the oneness and perfection of God required Razi and his fellow philosophers to walk systematically through the philosophical legacy of the antique pagan world, and before rejecting seemingly contradictory ideas, their first duty was to try to synthesize and reconcile them with Islamic belief. As Razi writes, Every matter has its beginning and its end. So if you want to reach its end before its beginning, then you have attempted an impossible thing. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to Enchanted wherever you listen, and check out Michael Sebastian Noble's Philosophizing the Occult, Avicenna's Psychology, and The Hidden Secret of Fakhr al-Din al-Razi. This week's episode was produced by me, with original music by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com. You can get in touch with me via email at enchantedpodcast at gmail.com, or follow Enchanted on Facebook and Instagram at Enchanted Podcast and on Twitter at Enchanted Pod. As always, to learn more, check out the list of sources for each episode on our website, EnchantedPodcast.net. To support the production of Enchanted and get sneak previews of upcoming episodes, please visit Patreon.com slash Enchanted Podcast. I'm Corinne Weben. Thank you for listening and stay enchanted.